Would you pray with me? Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Discovering freedom through Christ. One year, my kids gave me a session in an escape room as a birthday gift. If you like puzzles, escape rooms are a lot of fun. You and your guests are led into a small room filled with puzzles and riddles, and you are then locked in that room with your team. We had one hour to solve the puzzles that would direct us to some hidden key somewhere in the room that would allow us to escape outside of a side door. We thought we had plenty of time, so we methodically solved each puzzle until we found the key in this room. But then the next room we found ourselves in turned out to be another puzzle room. Working a little more feverishly in this second room, we eventually found the second key, only to find ourselves in another puzzle room. Sadly, we were not able to find our way out of all these rooms, the third room, before our time ran out. So the people monitoring our game came to our rescue and eventually let us out. To my surprise, there was even a fourth room after this one, which we never made it to. But we had a lot of fun, and I was thought that it was exciting to, to encounter the new puzzles room, the new puzzle rooms, which I never expected when I was in the one before them. Each time we thought we had things under control, there was some new twist that kept sending us back to a new beginning where we felt we were starting all over again. In reality, we were making good progress, but it didn't feel like it in the moment. I wonder if this is what Paul felt like as he was spreading the gospel message in Philippi. He had been in town for several days when he had a chance encounter with a successful businesswoman named Lydia, who received Paul's message with enthusiasm. Lydia was baptized along with her entire household, and she convinced Paul to accept her assistance and stay with her at her home. This turned out to be a very helpful situation for Paul because that allowed him to spend all of his time remaining in Philippi preaching the gospel to other residents. One day, while Paul was and his entourage were making their way down to the river to the place of prayer where they had met Lydia before, they encountered a different woman who had a spirit of divination. She was a slave, and her masters sold her services to people who wanted their fortunes read. When she met Paul, she recognized him as a fellow slave. A fellow slave, and she started making the following announcement. These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. At first, this might have been encouraging, perhaps a little even endearing. But she eventually became annoying. There were apparently many who respected her insights, because she is said to have made her masters very profitable with her skills at fortune-telling. This endorsement must have been very helpful for Paul, who was establishing his own credibility. So he may have actually enjoyed this publicity at first, but she continued to follow him around for days, yelling the same message. These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. 
At some point, Paul lost his patience. He turned to the girl and exercised the fortune-telling spirit from her. When he did this, he freed her in more ways than one. She was freed from the spirit that had controlled her mind and body, and she was freed from the exploitation that she had been enduring by her masters. She gained self-control over her speech, and she was no longer forced to look into the lives of others. Scripture doesn't tell us what happened to her. We're only told that her masters were furious at their loss of future income. We don't know if her life circumstances improved with this newfound freedom and newfound self-determination, or was she, she was even sold into a worse situation that made her life perhaps harder. All we know is that she experienced a new freedom that dramatically changed her life, hopefully for the better. Once the girl's owners realized that she was freed from this spirit by Paul, they seized him and Silas and brought them to the market authorities. Rather than charging them with a crime related to interfering with their exploitation of the girl, which probably would not have been very sympathetic, people would not have been sympathetic, they drummed up racial hatred in the crowd. The girl's owners pointed out that Paul and Silas were different. They were Jews and claimed that they were advocating unlawful customs. The passage paints a picture of a mob growing as out of control as Paul and Silas were stripped and beaten and thrown into a prison. When you think about it, this is a rather strange turn of events. I mean, Paul had just saved a girl from exploitation and possession, but now he found himself and Silas attacked by a mob, beaten and imprisoned. Following the orders of the market authorities, the jailer placed Paul and Silas in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in stocks. This would have been a very unpleasant situation. It would have been completely dark. They would have been suffering from their beatings and they would have no chance of moving to find a comfortable position. And yet despite these terrible circumstances, Paul and Silas were heard praying and singing by the other prisoners and by the jailer. They seemed to be experiencing the kind of peace that we talked about last week that Jesus had promised. A peace that gives joy and hope, regardless of the presence of conflict. In the midst of their pain and praise, there was an earthquake that opened all the prison doors and unfastened the shackles. All the prisoners were freed and able to escape, but they didn't. In another strange turn of events, the prisoners remained in their cells despite this opportunity to flee. Why didn't they run? We don't know, but the passage tells us that their decision to remain saved the life of the jailer. Because when the jailer woke up and discovered that the prison doors were open, he assumed, like we all probably would have, that they escaped. So he drew his sword and prepared to kill himself. Perhaps death by his own hand was preferable to the brutal treatment he expected to receive from the authorities. But Paul shouted to the jailer, 
Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Another strange turn of events. Despite the harsh treatment by the jailer, Paul chose to express compassion and save his life. Paul could have easily let the jailer take his own life and rationalized that he didn't murder him. The jailer murdered himself. He didn't thrust the sword into the jailer. But Paul had a sincere concern for the well-being of the jailer, his enemy, this example of agape love that Jesus taught. This way of living, loving enemies and experiencing peace within turmoil, shocked the jailer. He ran to the cell where Paul and Silas were and fell down trembling before them. He brought them out and then asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas responded, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Let's reflect on this dialogue a little more. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. This is a common church language that's used often and often glossed over, but there are deep questions really about what this means that merit some more thoughtful consideration. First, what are we asking to be saved from? More specifically, what is this jailer being asked to be saved from? He isn't threatened by the loss of the prisoners. They remained. They didn't escape. He's also the one who's physically in control. So what is he asking to be freed from? I suspect he may not even fully understand this question himself. It may simply be that he witnessed how Paul and Silas had demonstrated to him that there is another way of living that is much more gratifying than what he has experienced in his own life. How can someone be falsely accused, beaten, and thrown into prison, and yet still exhibit peace and kindness and compassion, even to those who mistreat him? Perhaps he wanted to be saved from the pervasive mindset of violence and vengeance that was expressed in his culture. Perhaps he wanted to be saved from the feelings of hopelessness that almost led to Tim taking his own life. Perhaps he wanted to, be, to leave behind despondency and, and experience the joy that he heard in the prayers and songs sung by Paul and Silas while they were in deep physical pain. These are all plausible responses that many of us may be able to relate to in our own circumstances today. The second part of the dialogue, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, also merits, I think, some deep discussion. I think the passion or the path to salvation or being saved involves more than simply making a verbal statement of belief. There can be mountaintop experiences that come in the moment when we become aware of the Holy Spirit in and around us. But being able to express the nature of Christ and a person's daily walk through living with the mind of Christ may take an entire lifetime to grasp. After all, believing in Christ is more than acknowledging there was an historical figure named Jesus of Nazareth who also happened to be the Son of God. 
It also means believing Jesus, believing in the world, believing in humanity, and believing in God in the same way that Jesus did. Coming to the same conclusions, sharing the same views, and expressing the same attitudes as Jesus. At the same time, believing in the Lord Jesus implies having faith that Jesus abides with us, advocates for us, and exists concurrently in the presence of God. While we can all offer our own understandings of what it means to be saved through belief in Jesus, based on our own experiences, we will inevitably fall short of capturing the full meaning. This is the work of God, that no single person except Christ could possibly fully understand or capture in their own words. In our story today, the jailer becomes a believer and starts his journey down the path of developing a relationship with Christ. He expressed compassion for Paul and Silas by taking them into his house and washing their wounds. And then he and his family were baptized. In a sense, the jailer and his family were also granted a new freedom through their acceptance of the gospel message. Their minds were open to Christ and their hearts were touched in a way that released them from the bonds of conformity that tie us to destructive ways of living that are often prevalent in our society. They were freed to live into the kind of transformational experience that brings us closer to God. Freedom is an aspiration of all God's children. We all want to be free to explore new ideas, pursue interests that excite us, and love the people who touch our hearts in a special way. This weekend, we remember the lives that were lost by those fighting in our armed forces to secure the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. We can get a sense of the value placed on freedom by considering the heavy price that so many people have paid so that others may experience. I invite you this morning to reflect on your own personal freedom. And consider whether you are able to experience that same peace of Christ expressed by Paul and Silas, even when they were confined in their deepest, darkest cell of their prison. Remember that Christ also died for your freedom, and through his resurrection has been given the ability to reach you wherever you find yourself. There is no corner of the world that can't be reached by Christ. And there are no chains or stocks or doors that he can't unlock. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk the path of discipleship, and you will discover the greatest freedom possible, the freedom through Christ. Amen.